You're listening to the Thesis Review Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Wellick. I'm a PhD student at New York University, and my research focuses on machine learning, natural language processing, and structured prediction. On the Thesis Review, I'll interview researchers from around the field, centering the conversation around their PhD thesis. In addition to diving into the technical content, this will give insight into their history as a researcher, allow us to revisit older ideas, and provide a valuable perspective on how their research and how the field itself has evolved since their PhD days. My guest today is Gus Shah, who is now an assistant professor at New York University, Shanghai. Gus is an expert in the field of machine learning for music, with the goal of building intelligent systems that understand and extend musical creativity and expression. He did his PhD at Carnegie Mellon, advised by Roger Dannenberg and graduating in 2016. He then went on to do a postdoc at Dartmouth University and then became an assistant professor at New York University's Shanghai campus, where he is now building and leading the Music X Lab. His PhD thesis is titled Expressive Collaborative Music Performance via Machine Learning and deals with using machine learning for automatic accompaniment, improvisation, and for building robots that have facial and gestural expressions and reactions to the music that they take part in. It was a fascinating conversation, covering the specific work in the thesis, music and AI in general, and where he has taken his work on machine learning for music since. There are links to his thesis and the papers that we mentioned in the show notes. I also recommend checking out Gus's website, which has clips of the music and the robots that we discuss. And now, here's Gus Shaw with expressive collaborative music performance via machine learning on the thesis review. Well, we could start with an easy question. So you're kind of in the unique position of being both a musician as well as a researcher. (laughs) So do you see similarities between composing or performing music and writing a scientific paper? At the beginning, it's completely different. And mm. I was at the first place a, a performer, a professional performer. So when mm. I stepped into the field of science, well, of course I studied computer science sort of uh, in my undergrad, but <clears throat> it's far from a very you know, um, formal training. So when I was doing my PhD, I, I certainly feel the conflict. The, the conflict, uh, not only in the way that how people uh, you know, deliver their result, but also how people think. Well, there's mm-hmm. a, two different ways of thinking. Um, yeah, I see. So um, let me try to summarize. So, um, but I'm, now I'm just talking to the, for the shallow part. So for the shallow right. part, um, science and engineering, I mean, let me just talk about computer science because I can't speak for other views. So computer mm-hmm. science guys, we think of representation first, and then the behavior is just normal. For example, we talk about data structure and algorithm, right? We first have the data structure and then we talk about algorithm because if we have the data structure, the algorithm should be obvious. And so we have the foundation. Um, so uh, we rarely you know, talk about an algorithm and then try to reverse engineer the data structure. Um, but 
for performer, uh, performers think of the problem in a completely different way. So when we learn how to perform music, we think of behavior first. So mm -hmm. if you do such and such and such, you will have, you, you, you can successfully play an A. It's through the practice of behavior, you gradually enhance the idea of representation. So it conflicts. And, and when I think about the CS problem, my advisor, you know, uh, constantly try to correct me that the order of my logic is, is reversed, is, is wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I see. That's interesting. It seems yeah. like potentially with machine learning, you might first think about what type of behavior you want and then think about how to develop the algorithm. Do you think maybe machine learning is a bit different than like this computer science view that you described? Yes, especially deep learning. Especially mm -hmm. deep learning. If we want to, <clears throat> you know, um, I think the current trend is we're trying to build a, a perception system and build on this, the so-called system one perception, how we can derive the system two logic or whatever we call it, the symbolic manipulation. So oh, if, if the system two could naturally derive from system one, well, I don't know how to do it so far, I mean, or it's an open problem. Uh, if we can do that, then this, you know, first have the behavior and then representation, maybe this, yeah, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. So that's why yeah, I'm saying that at a shallow part, it seems completely different, but underneath, uh, underneath, you know, um, it, actually the order doesn't matter that much. It's, it's, it's the truth that um, the two systems should work together and it forms a loop. Once it forms a loop, the order doesn't matter, right? Right, I see. So they might be yeah. aiming for similar things, just going at it in different directions. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe let's go back then. So what what was your background in music um, before your PhD? Uh, I was a well-trained Chinese flute and vertical flute performer. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, for more than 10 years. Uh, I also play a little bit piano saxophone, but that's kind of amateur level. Um, I actually uh, once won the first place of the so-called national instrument proficiency evaluation. Yeah, I was, mm. I was the number one out of more than 3000 competitors. Well, yeah. yeah. When did you decide to do a PhD and specifically in uh, computer science? Um, that was in my senior year. Uh, my undergrad major was information science and I did a minor in psychology. So um, mm. my undergrad years was mostly devoted to uh, the Chinese Music Institute. So we have a student group organization and uh, I was a soloist and leader for several years there. Um, so I, I, I had a lot of fun and, and, you know, my major is okay. But, you know, when I was a junior, senior, I was thinking that how I could combine my major uh, and minor in psychology and my, you know, my passion of music. So I talked yeah, to yeah. a lot of professors actually, and um, none of them gave me a, 
very, you know, um, inspiring answer uh, until I met mm. my uh, music teacher. Uh, he had a background in, you know, uh, new media. And he told me, oh, it's easy. You should just Google for uh, computer music and maybe Carnegie Mellon's Community Music Group or MIT's Media Lab uh, will give you a lot of inspiration. So I go back and did my homework and decide, oh, that's the area that I should pursue. I see, yeah, so that's interesting. So going into the PhD, you kind of had this vision of combining music with computer science, or at that time, did you already think about machine learning specifically or artificial intelligence? No, I, I didn't even know the words actually. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, and funny enough, that um, that time I was at Beijing and, and I was trying to, you know, um, do a PhD with um, Roger Dannenberg, the professor in, in um, Carnegie Mellon. And one day, uh, Adam Blum from CMU came to Tsinghua University, which is, you know, just beside Beida, where I did my undergrad. And... I have no idea who is Adam Blum and, and uh, sorry, Abraham Blum. And, um, and I just uh, shoot Roger an, uh, an email saying that, can I meet with this guy and chat with him? It's, it's just, you know, very casual. And I believe it's that kind of informal uh, interview that um, helped me a lot. Yeah. I see. Before we talk about what you did, during your PhD, let's take a step back and, and just talk about this music and AI in general. So mm -hmm. what are some of the, just like for people who are, haven't heard of this subfield before, what are some of the different problems that, that people look at in, in music and machine learning? Well, speaking of music AI, so basically uh, all the problems come from music domain. Right, so we have some, we have something that we want to do in music, but the traditional technology cannot do it. Uh, for example, music recommendation, right? So basically we are trying to um, leverage the technology to help people better appreciate music, perform music and compose music. So these three, you know, appreciation, performance and composition are the three main activity in music. So we're trying to, you know, use AI to um, better do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I see. So w w I guess the one that's less well-defined for me is the appreciation. So what are some examples of, of that? Oh, it's um, so far it's just a music recommendation system. You know, you oh, I see. music and I want to recommend some similar song. Um, of course, that's very shallow. Uh, and I, I, I guess, I, I believe people in the future want to do that, you know, um, where does the style of this particular song come from? So mm -hmm. what is the, the so-called ancestors of this song? And I believe some data mining algorithm can do it in the future. Yeah. But so far, it's, um, it's still uh, collaborative filtering-based algorithm. That, you know, yeah, it's kind of Amazon stuff. You know, you buy A and probably you want to buy B. Yeah. So also, um, in the first place, uh, genre 
classification is probably one of the earliest machine learning algorithm that's applied to music. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I see. Yeah. yeah. So then your your thesis, um, the the title is expressive collaborative music performance via machine learning. You said at the beginning of the PhD, you, um, you didn't know exactly what problem you were going to work on. At at what stage did this kind of begin to take shape? Um, it may be a little special for my case because I get this idea um, sort of in my second year, so very early. Um, so as I said, uh, when I did my PhD in 2010, uh, most of the field are doing um, genre classification, uh, beat detection, tempo estimation, you know, the source separation, this kind of thing. So it's, uh, we call it mm -hmm. machine listening or music information retrieval. So people are trying to uh, use algorithms to analyze the music better. Mm. Okay. And I'm more interested in the creation part. Mm -hmm. And because I'm a well-trained performer and I feel very lonely at Pittsburgh because <laughs> I don't have a band to do a compliment for me. So I want to create an agent that, you know, can play along with me. Plus, plus my, my advisor is uh, one of the inventors or the inventor of uh, the earliest automatic accompaniment algorithm. So it naturally comes to me that whether I can turn the rule-based accompaniment algorithm into a learning-based one, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, learning-based means, you know, uh, learn from your rehearsal and learn the performance style because that's what I do all days, you know, uh, in rehearsal. Before we go on stage, it seems, you know, it seems everything is improvisational. It seems everyone, you know, look at each other and, 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 and get a hint, but the story is not. In the, the, everyone, everything on the stage pretty much uh, 90% is, is rehearsed. We know when to look at each other. We know when to speed up and when to slow down. And it's not a template. It's, it's kind of a, a time series regression problem to me. You know, uh, if you speed up 30%, then later on, you should slow down 20%. It's, you know, we, we kind of have learned this complex associations, this correspondence through uh, rehearsals again and again. So I want to, you know, build an algorithm. Yeah. So, so I get this initial idea very early. I mean, uh, even the first year. But first year, I'm, you know, taking courses, so uh, very busy. And and starting from my second year, I was chatting to my advisor whether I could pursue this direction. Yeah. Yeah, I see. So that definitely. Uh, so this notion of accompaniment that corresponds to this word collaborative. What about the word expressive? So what's the difference between just performing and having an expressive performance? Uh, yeah, so actually by performance, we mean that you wanna be expressive. Um, mm -hmm. That's, you know, on top of the static score, you know. Um, I see. So, so in, in music, we have three levels of representation, so-called. So the, the very abstract uh, highest level representation is the uh, 
it's called sheet music or symbolic stuff, right? The, the score, the mm -hmm. Western uh, sheet music we, we read. So um, there we can only have the pitch and durations and, uh, you know, the keys and, and that's it. And then we have the second level is performance. So at the performance level, we can add uh, expressive timing and dynamics. So loud or soft, you know, yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, fast or slow. So of course, in the, you know, uh, in the score, you can also label it, but it's in a symbolic way and not very detailed. Yeah. And at the bottom level, we have sound, concrete sound. Uh, so audio or spectrogram. So my PhD thesis was kind of trying to work on uh, working on the uh, second level, the middle level of representation. So, yeah. Yeah. So I guess if I understand then the, the composer will create a score, but then you still have to put the score into a performance and the kind of mapping from score to performance isn't, isn't perfect. I mean, that's why it's so difficult to be a good performer. Because yes. you have to convert this musical score into some expressive performance. Yes, yes. Absolutely. Yeah, I see. And um, it's kind of a optimization problem. Uh, and if we just want to try to solve the mapping from score to performance, obviously there are many possible solutions, right? There, or I mm -hmm. should say there are um, many local optimal. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because you know, uh, 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 two different master performers could play the same piece dramatically different, and they are all very, very good. So, so then it turns to be a you know ill-defined problem. So how can I you know well-define uh, that my performance is the, the performance I generated is good? So mm. the solution is add the constraint. Of collaboration, so I'm not trying mm. to, you know, optimize the mapping just from score to a performance, but also under the constraint of the solo's performance, and then it becomes a sort of well-formed uh, machine learning problem. <laughs> I see. Yeah. Yeah. So then let's let's talk about. So this is kind of the first uh, major uh, topic is this accompaniment. Um, so accompaniment, I guess, as we've talked about, you have, I guess, a human playing, and then mm -hmm. you want to have some model, I guess, which you run online as the, uh, like in the ideal case, you have a model that you're running online, and mm -hmm. it's going to change the way that it's playing based on the way that the human is playing. Yes, yes. I see, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about this. It seems, um, so I've worked on this dialogue problem in language mm -hmm. and dialogue is kind of nice because you have one person talk and then the next person talks and it's kind of this alternating thing but yeah. it seems like with this accompaniment it's kind of like both people are speaking at once and you have to make it sound good <laughs> <laughs> yes that's that's why it's a hard problem that um you know all the nlp task i would say um our purpose is, is that it's understandable right want it to be understandable. You do not have to completely cheat the, the human saying, oh, the agent on the other side is a human. We, we actually do not have to pass the Turing test. That's not our goal. The, the goal is we can understand, we can use it. Uh, but for music, it's kind of 
if it doesn't pass that artistic bar, what's the point of doing it? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Yeah. If you make the the overall music worse by introducing the machine learning component, then what's the point? Yeah. So, um, so in some sense, it's a harder task. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then, if if you can remember, so the specific, we could talk about maybe how you would approach this problem today. But in the in the thesis, um, what was the specific method that you used? Like, what is actual accompaniment mean in in the thesis? Like, what are the inputs? What are the outputs? Oh, it's it's actually pretty easy. That's uh, very straightforward. Uh, the input is mm -hmm. first the score, or at least mm -hmm. uh, the lead sheet um, of a score. Or a lead sheet means um, you at least have um, the chords labeled with the main melody. Mm -hmm. um, and the second input is solo's performance. Yeah. I see. And the output. And then it'll, yeah. Yeah, the output is just the accompaniment. And if the score is already given, then it becomes the detailed timing and dynamics of the accompaniments. Every note, we can decompose into a note by note decision making process. I see. So what does dynamics mean? Dynamic just, uh, you know, uh, I was working on, mainly working on uh, a piano accompaniment. So dynamics means the loudness or the velocity, um, so-called velocity of, you know, how fast do you, you push the key? <laughs> I see, yeah, yeah. And then one thing I thought was interesting is when you were talking about the models in the thesis, mm -hmm. I guess you learned a separate model for each note it's a mm -hmm. per, per note models. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's the first model. Yeah, that's the first model. I see. Yeah. And then the more complex ones, so like this linear dynamical system. Yes. That was, that was different. Oh yes, that's completely different. I start from the so-called note specific model, which only, mm -hmm. you know, I I have to have thirty or forty rehearsals because, uh, those forty to 30 to 40 rehearsals was trying to, you know, um, learn the model for each individual note. So I, I need a lot of rehearsals, a lot of data. Um, and so that's the first model. And then I try to uh, generalize the model, right? Uh, or sorry, I, I try to build more and more general model, um, including rhythm specific and uh, eventually the linear dynamic system thing. So that's, so for that one, I only need four to eight rehearsals in order to learn a performance style. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, actually on that note, let's talk about the data. This is something in this deep learning era where we're seeing bigger and bigger data sets, uh, you know, with millions of examples. I thought this yeah. was pretty fascinating that you constructed this data set and it had 189 or 10 pieces and 189 performances. Yes. And you were able to learn these models. It seems like that would because be very not, challenging for, yeah. Because I'm not using deep learning models. I'm using exactly, lean yeah. models. <laughs> That's why that's so far, um, 
that's why actually so far I do not have a better solution than LDS for performance problem. Yeah. Because yeah. in yeah, most really reporting system, even the less just the RN or LSTM, they need well a hundred performance, I mean a hundred uh, rehearsals at least. But who can afford, you know, collect that much data? Uh, mm -hmm. So so far, the best, you know, um, accompaniment model is still linear. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, I think another I, I transfer learning can work. Yeah, transfer learning would work. We can, you know, use a large amount of data. Uh, non-collaborative data, uh, so solo data that we have a lot of them, millions of them yeah. maybe, to train a, you know, pre-train a model and then try to, you know, do zero shot or few shot learning for accompaniment. I, I think that's the future direction, <laughs> but mm -hmm. I'm not working on that now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that would be really interesting because yeah. especially in language, that's becoming the dominant uh, kind of paradigm for these tasks where you have small amounts of data. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then another interesting thing that you noted here is with this linear dynamical system, um, if anyone's reading along, it was called discovery number seven. And it said that there's a latent expressive space, which explains mm -hmm. a significant portion of musical expression. And it's only yes. four to seven dimensions. Yes, exactly. So my, my, yeah, my question is like, did this, because I know that nowadays you work on these variational autoencoder models with this latent space. So was this kind of the first uh, uh, finding that made you interested in, in this type of thing, like finding this lower dimensional representation of the performance? Exactly, exactly. Oh gosh, you are a good, um, how should I say? <laughs> detector <laughs> that's why we're doing this podcast to go to go back and, and trace the path <laughs> that's amazing yes that's from um but the lds you know the latent space is it's just svd it's linear um mm -hmm. but still for performance it seems to be okay so linear system seems to be fine for performance problem but for composition problem uh, what I'm working on now, uh, obviously the, the linear model won't work and we need um, more powerful uh, representation learning models, say VAE and, and all the you know, improvement, disentanglement whatsoever uh, we're working mm -hmm. on. Yeah, I see. So yeah, maybe we'll, we'll go on to the next um, topic, this improvisation in a second. Yeah. Why don't we talk about that existing work that you're doing now on uh, with VAEs and on this uh, latent representation. Yeah. Yeah, actually it's very similar. I'm just transferring from, you know, generate performance to, to uh, the creation of composition. It, mm -hmm. it's, the, it's the same concept. And um, especially um, in a sense that I'm not very interested in uh, automated composition uh, 
you know, vanilla, I would say vanilla automated composition. I'm interested in interactive composition and controlled composition. Mm. So the sense of human computer interaction uh, within the AI framework is, is deeply you know, rooted in my heart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think any, any AI algorithm should be able to interact with human input. Yeah. yeah. So for the, my thesis is uh, the performance should, you know, um, be collaborative, should, should do a complement for a human. Uh, and now uh, the composition model is, is um, the created uh, composition should, you know, go along with uh, a well-defined, you know, human input, for example, um, a motive, uh, a chord progression, or some rhythmic patterns, something like this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I see. Yeah. And so the idea there is, if I remember correctly, so you learn this uh, latent space, and the goal was to disentangle it to the mm -hmm. point where you're able to adjust these different um, characteristics that you're talking about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, because only only through disentanglement, well, I should say, I mean, through disentanglement, uh, we can improve the interpretability of the model, and only through improving the interpretability of the model that we can turn the model into a controllable interface. Otherwise, mm -hmm. all the latent variables we have no idea what they are, and they will remain a black box. Right, right. You're just toggling different numbers in a vector. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, yeah. yeah. Are, are you kind of uh, like where is this problem at? Like, how difficult is this problem? Are you are you satisfied with the amount that you're able to control these latent characteristics, or do you think there's more work to be done here? Oh, there's a lot of work to be done here, and we are just getting started. I believe. Mm -hmm. So I start from two measure, so it's that's eight beats <laughs> for four four composition. We we start from the melody, uh, eight beats melody, and um, and that's the deep music analogy paper. And now we can do eight beats um, piano accompaniment. So now it's polyphony. <laughs> and currently, what we are trying to learn is longer composition and i believe for longer composition a um, simple linear model won't work we have to build hierarchies so so recently there's some very good work uh jukebox they use hierarchical vqvae and uh and i think that's a good approach yeah 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 i found that paper to be pretty interesting yeah um do you think that, like, how far do you think we can get with this paradigm of larger and larger models and more and more data? I guess you already kind of commented on it that we probably need something like hierarchy. We can't just have a larger flat model. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, we cannot just have a large flat model. That won't work. We have to build hierarchies. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, see. and I believe that by building hierarchies and make the hierarchical representation 
at each level more interpretable, we can shrink the data sets dramatically. The, I guess the key is to impose the so-called good inductive bias so, so that what the model learns is uh, similar to what we human perceive. Mm -hmm. I see. Because how, how human perceive the world is, um, it's not the way, it's just one way. So we have to, in order, in order to, you know, interact with the model, we have to kind of guarantee that um, when machine trying to understand the world, they should understand the world in a similar way that we human understand it. So. Uh, in, and in order to achieve it, we have to impose some very strong inductive bias. Right. And yeah. that will yeah, come from using knowledge, I, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Because ultimately, we want to create music that's sounding good to humans, not to the machines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what is the good music <laughs> from a machine's perspective. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, one more question on this. It's kind of a um, it's kind of a difficult. Just feel, yeah. So <laughs> in uh, in the game of Go, right? We had this AlphaGo moment. Yeah. Where we really knew that computers had reached this the superhuman level in Go. Yeah. What do you think in in your perspective? Could you come up with an equivalent thing for this music generation? Like, when mm -hmm. would you know that we've gotten to the point where we're able to generate really good music with these types of models. Well, a human can decide it, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're listeners and we'll say, oh, that's even better than Beethoven. Maybe one day we can achieve it. Right. But, but I would say music AI is, um, or in general, creative arts, uh, Underlying is very different from, you know, trying to solve a uh, autonomous driving car problem or goal. And I, I, I told the story uh, to my student that let's imagine in a future city, 100 years later, in a future city, that uh, there's only machine, no human. So what activity we could imagine happening for that to that city. So obviously there are autonomous driving vehicles, right? Because <clears throat> they're machines that are trying to optimize their time and, and, and energy. Um, and they could even play some game like Go because uh, that's a very good way to test uh, whose algorithm is better when dealing with uncertainties, right? Mm -hmm. But can you imagine two machines play music? <laughs> or what? I can't imagine that. It just doesn't make sense to me because the underlying problem is music is a media. Sorry, music is a medium. Yeah, <laughs> it's not an object. If we are talking about objects, 
then AI will certainly become human and human are of no use. But if we are talking about media, then human is always there because the definition of music is, you know, it comes from human and it will ultimately go back and serve human. Yeah, if you could imagine having different, somehow restarting humanity multiple times, I would probably expect that after a while, the humans would invent all of the different instances of humanity would invent music. But maybe the <laughs> same thing wouldn't be true, like you're saying, for, for machines. <laughs> yeah, so there's something there. Yeah. Maybe we'll go on to the next topic that you went into, which is this improvisation. Mm -hmm. So how would this be different from accompaniment? I guess because maybe part of an accompaniment could be that you have some improvisation. Oh, yes. Uh, it's, improvisation is just uh, the score is not 100% predefined. You know, for expressive performance, your degree of freedom is your timing and dynamics. And for, uh, and for improvisation, um, you have some more freedom. Yeah, but, but you still have to, you know, play in the tempo, in the beat, and, and sort of in the core. But what mm -hmm. are the detailed pitches? You can decide it. In terms of what you looked at here, or what the state of the art was, what type of improvisation were you dealing with here? Was it like a full jazz solo or um, what did improvisation mean in this thesis? Uh, in a th thesis, it just means uh, folk song uh, improvisational accompaniment. Mm -hmm. and, and in my thesis, I did it in a very naive way that uh, it's a unit selection algorithm, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> so it's, it's not, it's not a, uh, you know, uh, it's not really generating um, the accompaniment. It's doing unit selection, yeah. I see, yeah. yeah but this yeah. also seems like it's still a very difficult problem. <laughs> Yeah, but now I'm doing it <laughs> using VAE and sample from the latent space so that uh, we can truly create, you know, um, the accompaniment uh, actually on the fly. And, and we can say um, uh, to control the accompaniment um, by chord, pitch contour, and rhythm pattern, we can do it now. Yeah. If I walk into a, a jazz club, how far are we from having a machine learning system be one of the players? <laughs> uh, I'm guessing I guess pretty far. Pretty far away because <laughs> jazz is the most difficult topic. Jazz is just mm. too hard. It's, it's very difficult. But <laughs> I would say for maybe for popular song, maybe we're just uh, several years away. Uh, three to four, I guess. Uh, maybe I'm very optimistic. <laughs> we're making progress on some problems, and some are still very far away. Yeah, yeah. Maybe by the time you graduate, we can have a pretty decent, you know, pop song complement system. Yeah. <laughs> I see. <laughs> and, they could play uh, the graduation ceremony song. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it all relies on the so-called hierarchical model. As long as we can build a good hierarchical representation, I guess three levels of hierarchy is good, is enough 
for a pop song. We may need a couple of more for uh, symphonies, uh, sonatas, but uh, that's future work. Yeah. In- intuitively, what would the three levels represent for a pop song? Uh, motive, uh, phrase, and the song. Okay, and then maybe we'll go on to the third, at least the way I saw it, like the third um, kind of topic that you addressed in your thesis, which was the robotics. So getting robots to have these um, gestural and facial expressions. Could you just talk (laughs) a bit about how you got interested in this and um, what the problem is? It's just a purely an accident. (laughs) (laughs) I, I flew to Japan uh, I forgot why I flew to Japan, but just before I flew to Japan, I saw a YouTube video and Wasita's uh, robot. I said, wow, that's fascinating. I, I, I've never seen any music robot, but now we have a lot of music robots around the world. But by that time, uh, I guess it's just Italy and Japan. And, um, I should email to them, say, can I visit your lab? Uh, and they say, yes. And I just did. I just visit them. And actually, when I visit them, the robot is kind of not working properly. And it's, it's summer vacation. So only uh, one undergrad in- intern and, and a master student was around. So we work really hard for several days to you know, fix it. And eventually it worked. Mm-hmm. I see. Work out. So, so I, I, I actually did minimum of programming. It's just, you know, because the, our, uh, the robot is purely driven by MIDI messages. So I mm-hmm. only I have to set up, set up some rule-based methods saying that if I'm speeding up, if I'm slowing down, if I'm doing such and such, what should be, uh, what should be uh, the facial and, and gestural expressions? And plus some randomness. Yeah. I see. So again, it seems like um, here you kind of set up this uh, almost like a baseline and then you can build off of it to do, try to do more sophisticated things with the the robots, like something more sophisticated than the rule-based methods. Yes, and uh, and the reason why I'm interested in it is I think musical expression is not limited to timing and dynamics. It's, yeah, now I should say it's multimodal. Yeah, because now I'm working on multimodal representation learning. And at that time, I'm not thinking of this, but I just have the intuition, the gut feeling that uh, musical expression is very, um, it's not just for sound. It's, it's a global thing. Yeah. When I was an undergrad, I was in Philadelphia, and they had this um, pass for students where we could go and sit right at the front of the orchestra for like $5. So I actually went to a few of the shows and it seem, it does seem like there's an added aspect to seeing it live where you're seeing how the person's kind of moving with the music. It's yeah. different than just listening to the music itself. Oh, it's very different. And, and, uh, and sitting large crowd will kind of twist your perception somehow. Yeah. 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 Because I'm a performer and I, I know that I will get super excited when I see 500 audience and mm-hmm. there is a weird feedback loop between my performance and I would say the breadth of 
the whole uh, hall, all the audience, all the people. Yeah, it, it feels very uh, different or unique. It's a unique experience to use your music to guide the breathing of 500 people. <laughs> <laughs> that is interesting. And I guess it goes back to this idea of the difference between a musical score and the actual performance. So yeah, it's so it's difficult beautiful. that it gets to the point where the performance is actually going to depend on the number of people in the crowd, potentially. <laughs> yes. And also yeah. goes back to the represent, uh, behavior leads to representation and reputation come back to uh, guide the, the behavior um, loop. Yeah. Those are kind of the three major things that you looked into, into your thesis. Um, and yeah. I guess we've, we've talked a bit about uh, this work in, in generation. Mm -hmm. What are some other things that you're looking into now? And maybe talk a little bit about the lab that you're building at NYU Shanghai. Yeah, uh, the lab is called Music X Lab. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. uh, and I built it in 2017, uh, shortly after uh, I came to NYU Shanghai. There are several groups. Um, the, the first group is, the largest group is the uh, automatic uh, music generation group. So the composition thing that we just talked about. And mm -hmm. there are two undergrads actually working on uh, automatic accompaniment. So that's the second group. and. Now I'm trying to build a voice following system. So not I play electronic piano or play the electronic flute. So because people, humans, we can sing out of tune and how we can do accompaniment when we are singing out of tune, is, that's a pretty hard problem, yes. And uh, there's also a group, a uh, pretty big, it's called um, Multimodal Music Learning Group. It's computer-aided instrument learning. So, um, so far we're working on uh, computer-aided flute learning system. Yeah, so we have a hardware <laughs> um, <laughs> that, <laughs> um, we have a hardware that's, um, which can, um, you know, lead you to learn the music purely by muscle memory. So we have a flute and the flute is equipped with finger rings that are driven by the motors. And the motors are of course uh, controlled by the computer program. So you just insert your fingers into these finger rings and it just move your finger. And you, mm. when it moves your finger, it just learn the music by feeding it. I see. Yeah. And then are you trying to, is there a machine learning problem here? So trying to create a model of the student or, or something or? Yes, yes, uh, and, and, and um, there's something called adaptive learning. And the idea is um, to, in a real time, detect how good you are. And if you are making mistake, a lot of mistake, then uh, the finger rings will change your behavior. Uh, but if you are doing good, uh, they will just uh, leave you free. So it's kind of, you know, teacher forcing and schedule sampling apply to human. <laughs> mm, I see. <laughs> yeah, and it works pretty good. We can speed up the learning process by three times. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, yeah, so, it's very effective. So you're saying if, if someone's learning a new piece, you could actually measure yeah. that their learning time is decreased? 
Yes, yes. If you have to spend an hour, now we can do you know less than half an hour or twenty minutes. Yeah, that's fascinating. Oh, yes. Do you think this could be applied to pianos as well? Uh, I had a prototype uh, in my head, and and I I drew it one day. But my student complained that it's too big, and we do not have that big you know three D printer. <laughs> <laughs> I see. <laughs> if Actually, only we had a three D a three D printer for your ideas. I do have a three D printer in my lab, but uh, it's pretty small, so it's only for work for flutes. Actually, um, two of my students were at Tendon, and they have a you know workspace there, and they are just about to build a prototype. Actually, but the but sadly the the the, the pandemic uh, stopped everything. Yeah, because I. Um, I used to play piano, and the place that I learned piano, they used a lot of these Roland pianos, mm -hmm. which are electronic, and mm -hmm. they would just have the, the MIDI file playing in the background, and you'd kind of play along with it. So it seems like there's a lot of room there for introducing some type of machine learning. Yes, yes. And, yeah. and now the group is trying to not only learn some particular pieces, um, which you know most music AI algorithm was trying to do. We're trying to you know learn the inner musicality of you know how you how to read music, something like this. Yeah, how to read music and perform, or the so-called uh, the side playing technique. Yeah. And then in terms of machine learning topics, what are some of the methods that you've been using? I'm not sure. Maybe reinforcement learning. Mm, I see. Yeah. For that project, I'm mainly applying deep learning algorithms to human, actually. I see. And then one last thing that I saw on the website, which I'd never heard of before, there's something about slime molds and music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one of the craziest thing I've ever done. Um, I, 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 I <clears throat> You know, it's it's not uh, very common for deep learning or machine learning guy to work on hardware and and biology. Um, I should thank to my uh, postdoc advisor Michael Casey and Xing Dongyang at Dartmouth. So I get a so-called Newcomb Fellowship, and it's very open. That it's just saying that I gave you some money, you can do whatever you want. And since at that time, I already got the offer from NYU Shanghai, I'm saying that, oh, maybe I should stop my, um, just stop a minute for my you know, machine learning and performance um, research. I should think of something different, uh, something that, uh, that I wish I could be doing during my PhD, but do not have the bandwidth. And um, so the computer-aided, uh, music education project uh, is purely comes from a, a, a you know bar chat with Xing Dongyang and he, he told me that guys you can build a system for professional musicians but I just want to learn to play a simple song on the flute can you help me so that's where that uh, project come from mm. and speaking of the slime mode is is one day I, I went to a talk and the talk is saying that slime mode is a single cell creature that 
has much intelligence. It can solve maze, and oh, wow. uh, and and it can it can memorize. It has very good uh, memorization on, on timing. So uh, so there's a um, experiment, very fun experiment, that you know the slime mode uh, do not like cold air. So if you expose it to cold air, it will stop, stop growing, stop moving. And then as hot, it will start growing again. So 30 minutes freezing, it will stop. And 30 minutes um, remove the, the cold air, it will start to grow again. So you repeat the, this process for several cycles. And then suddenly, even if you do not present it with cold air, it will still stop moving. And this can last for several cycles. So this to me is supervised learning already. So I'm, uh, I'm thinking that, oh, if this live creature can do supervised learning, can I just you know, manipulate the input output and let it do genre classification or even play the music? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I did the experiment. I, I calculated some slime mode in my computer music lab in dark mode. And, and and people say yes, you can do it. You can imagine that. <laughs> what have you What have you got the slime mold to do so far? Like, where is the project at? Well, it's, it's moving really slowly, and we are <clears throat> we are still trying to, you know, associate, uh, trying to find the good stimulus. Eventually, I wanted to be able to, you know, perceive music and, and uh, do genre classification. But now we're still at an age, a stage of trying to um, find a good s stimulus that could be recognized by the slime. So, so for example, for our human, our uh, our uh, auditory perception is from twenty hertz to twenty thousand hertz. Anything beyond this frequency range, we cannot perceive it. And so for slime mode, it gotta be the same thing. It, it has its own collaboration, it has its own uh, hyperparameters and, and we have to do experiments to figure this out. We're still, yeah, at this stage, yeah. That project is, is moving really slowly, yeah. It's fascinating though, and I like the backstory of this. Uh, it started with a kind of call for very open-ended research and you ended up on this direction with with slime molds it's fascinating <laughs> <laughs> so maybe to end um do you have any advice for someone who is maybe in a similar situation that you're in so they're maybe really interested in music and want to get involved in this idea of combining music with artificial intelligence where could they maybe get started that's a very good question actually most of the students I'm currently advising, they got a way better background than I was when I was in my undergrad. Mm. Yeah. So because nowadays students know deep learning, machine learning, even you know in their freshman year. I don't know. Maybe the advice is for your undergrad time, trying to try to enjoy your passion. Do not think of graduate school that much. Uh, just do whatever you love to do. Uh, if you love music, try to be a good performer, try to 
be a good composer because once you really start your PhD work, you do not have that much time to, you know, um, to really cultivate your, your musicality. Um, yeah, be a good programmer, be um, good at math, um, be good at music, that will set up your foundation. Yeah. And then uh, in, in a gradual level, uh, you can start to merge this expertise. But if you do not have the raw material, um, there's nothing to grow. Yeah. 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 And I think you started by saying that all of the problems in, or most of the problems in machine learning for music are driven by the music itself. So you, it's good to yeah. have that experience with the music itself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, th thanks so much for giving up uh, all, all no the problem. time for this interview. Yeah. It was, it was great going back and reading what you worked on and seeing how it connects with things that you work on today. So thanks. Yeah. It's, it's great to uh, connect these things on the fly when you ask me. And it's uh, sometimes, I mean, many of the stuff I, I, I've never thought of before, but when you ask me, yeah, there's an underlying, you know, uh, outline. <laughs> 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 yeah, thank you. Thank you.